Theology on Fire family, Nick Godshall here, coming to you from Grantville, Pennsylvania, here at Summit International School of Ministry, where I have the privilege and the joy of serving as the Dean of Academics and as one of the campus pastors of the uh, church here. And I really want to thank Andrew and Leah for inviting me to participate in this, and I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. As you can see, I've got my beautiful tree behind me, uh, which my wife did a phenomenal job of telling me how to decorate because uh, she's got the eye for that and I really don't. This is a guy who can barely match his socks. But I want to share with you just a brief thought from the Word of God, uh, something that I think is really relevant for the season that we're in, not just as Christians, but even as, as a nation uh, with what we're facing right now. I love how Matthew tells the story of Jesus's birth. And this is going to sound strange, but I particularly love the way he presents the genealogy of Jesus. And one of the common explanations for why there are differences between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy is usually that one is attached to the line of Mary, the other is attached to the line of Joseph. But really, those aren't the best explanations. And I've come across one in particular that I think has a lot more power and I think makes a lot more sense of what's going on there. And without getting into the weeds of everything that that is, one thing Matthew is trying to do is he is not just trying to show Jesus's physical lineage. He's trying to show Jesus's redemptive heritage. Because one thing Matthew is careful to bring out in the genealogy of Jesus is the role both of women and of Gentiles. He doesn't focus on the male heirs. He highlights the fact that there were women and there were Gentiles in Jesus's family line. And that would have been something that in most ancient genealogies, Scribes would have been very careful to hide that because it would have been seen as shameful if you have an axe murderer uh, somewhere in the family tree. You don't really want that becoming public knowledge, especially about a national hero. But here we're talking about the king of kings, the savior of the world. And Matthew deliberately highlights the pieces of his ancestry that many would consider shameful and things that should be hidden and kept from public view. For example, when he talks about how he was coming through the line of Boaz. It says that Salmon, verse 5, begot Boaz by Rahab, the prostitute, the Gentile prostitute rescued from the city of Jericho. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, the Moabitess. And the Moabites were forbidden from entering into fellowship with the people of God, even up to 10 generations or more. And here she is grafted into the family line of the king of kings. And Obed begot Jesse, then verse 6, Obed, excuse me, Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now in Greek, it's a lot shorter. In Greek, it simply says, by her of Uriah. And so he's not saying that because he's ashamed to use Bathsheba's name. He's saying it that way because he wants to highlight that even she was married to a Gentile because Uriah was a Hittite a descendant of one of the Canaanite nations that Israel should have exterminated completely during the conquest under the, the leadership of Joshua. And so Matthew highlights things like this all throughout his book. And even he is the only gospel writer to record the coming of the Magi, the wise men of the East. Why? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he talk about the lowly Judean shepherds in the foothills? Well, because for Matthew, he's trying to show that Jesus came, Jesus was born and incarnated, to reach the lowest of the low, people that many would consider to be the furthest from God's reach. 
not just shepherds out in the field, but Gentile astrologers, sorcerers, magicians were made aware of his coming and knew that he was the king and traveled perhaps two years distance to meet him and to give him homage as king of kings. What an incredible story. And I think the reason why Matthew does this so much, why he highlights this idea of Jesus's redemptive heritage is because he was the lowest of the low. And he tells his own story in his gospel. He calls himself Levi, the calling of Levi, the tax collector. He knew that he was a social pariah. He knew what it was to be an outcast and an exile himself, rejected by his own people, sinning by preying upon his own people on behalf of their enemies. And yet this strange wandering rabbi comes and says, I want you to follow me. And Matthew's life is never the same again. And so when I think about Christmas and I think about one of the ways the birth of our Savior should impact the way that we think and the way that we live, it makes me question myself, who do I often write off as beyond God's reach? Are there people that I consider too low to love? Are, are there people that I have a hard time praying for? I have a hard time making war for them because in my mind, I, I label them as the enemy. I see them as, as strictly an adversary and not someone that I would actually contend for in my, my times of prayer. But when I look at the birth of our Savior, he came specifically to redeem the lowest of the low. He came to redeem the people that the world writes off is absolutely hopeless. The, the Gentiles, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, us, you and me, should be outcasts. We should be exiled, but we're accepted in the beloved. And so for this Christmas, I challenge you, look low. Look low for people who really need the love of God. Pray big for people that sometimes your, your carnal mind wants to write off as, as beyond the reach of God. Let's rise above that, just like the Lord did, that he was humble enough to come and rescue us in our lowest state. But thank you again for giving me your time. I hope that this has encouraged you. Have a fiery crew.